This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to be here with you. My fourth grade daughter was quick to point out to me that each of the bad boys of Easter had beards because she's trying to get me to shave my beard right now. Said, well, I'm pretty sure Jesus had a beard too, so we're doing okay. Uh, Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. I'm going to guide us as we continue to engage with God this morning. And I had an absolute blast with over 250 of you this past Friday night at our 20th birthday bash. So I want to thank you for being here with me. It was so fun. We do love being generous. We had a chance to give free Chick-fil-A to everybody who came. We celebrated, we partied as we head into our 21st year. There are things that I love about birthdays. I love that birthdays are an opportunity to celebrate what has been and to look ahead to the next year. And that's exactly what we did. We celebrated what has been and we looked ahead to the next year. And if we missed you at the birthday bash, you can go to our Facebook page and you can watch, I would say a short video, but it's short by... Pastor Standard. It's about 35 or 40 minutes long. A little video that I shared um, of where we're going in the next 18 months. If you're just wondering, what's this next year and a half going to look like for our church? Hop onto our Facebook page and you can watch that there. Well, as we continue to dive in this morning, uh, I was thinking about being a little kid because I, I loved I loved childhood. There was so much fun to it. I played baseball. Any baseball players in here? Baseball was one of my sports. I was not good at it, which is is telling because I was standing in right field when this moment happened. And if you know Little League baseball, right field is where they stick the kid with the good personality, if you know what I mean. And it was, it was the bottom of the ninth, uh, and I'm pretty sure we were maybe up by a run, bases were loaded, and I remember standing out there with not much to do, and it was one of the first prayers I remember. I said, God, if you would just let us win, if you just let us, please, God, please, because I knew he was, he was very interested in this game. If you would just let us win, God, I'll do anything you want. Honestly, you got a blank check, baby. I will do it for you. And that continued on into uh, adolescence. God, if you would just let me get a date with that girl, I'll do anything you want. God, if you would just let me get into that college, I'll do anything you want. Am I the only one who's ever tried to get God to do my bidding by bargaining with him? I mean, have you ever had one of those moments where uh, you would say to God, God, I will if you will. And you can fill in the blank. God, I will. Man, I'll I'll never look there again. I'll never go there again. I'll never do that again. If you would just blank. Or God, if you would just help me to get the job I need, get the paycheck I want, get the date I'm looking for. I will if you will. I think that this is something that's common to all of us. And I would say, whether you're here and you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is probably common to you too. Because my guess is, even if you say, man, I don't really ever pray, I'm guessing there's been one point in your life where you said, God, if you're there, do this for me, and I will, and you can fill in your blank. I want to talk about that a little bit, because here's the problem. Some of us, we said this, and we prayed this, and we asked this, and then God didn't, so we said, forget it. We said, I will if you will, but then God didn't, so we said, forget it. And we got in this this mindset where God became kind of this cosmic tug-of-war person with us, where, where we tried to get God to do for us the things that we wanted God to do for us. And it doesn't 
really work out that way. And we're in this series called The Bad Boys of Easter, where we're talking about a guy who was following Jesus, trying to walk with him, loved him, but eventually Jesus didn't play out the way that this guy thought that Jesus ought to play out. And the reason why I want to talk about him is there's a little bit of him in all of us that we try and we try and we try and we ask God to do things for us. But then if God just, if he doesn't come through the way we think he ought to, then we wash our hands of it. Today's character is a guy named Judas Iscariot. Now, if you're to think of one bad boy of Easter, Judas is probably the guy you think about. In fact, I was talking to our team out here. We were praying before we got started, and I said, Judas gets a bad rap, and they all looked at me like I was crazy. They said, uh, yeah, he gets a bad rap, because, spoiler alert, uh, he betrayed Jesus. He goes on to betray Jesus. And so the whole crew looks at me like, of course he gets a bad rap. He was a bad guy. And I said, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because there's this other dude, Peter, who also betrayed Jesus. But what Judas did after he betrayed Jesus and what Peter did after he betrayed Jesus made all the difference in the world. Peter went on, and if you came from a Catholic background, you know to be known as the first pope. There's there's a huge basilica, St. Peter's Basilica for Peter. You don't have a a St. Judas Basilica, but it wasn't because Peter was so much better (laughs) than Judas. Can we just be honest? They both betrayed Jesus at the time when he needed them most. So before we start laying into Judas, we have to remember there's a little bit of him, if we're totally honest, in all of us. And here's the thing about Judas, and it was not unique to him. In fact, all 12 of Jesus' closest followers had the same general issue. They all wanted Jesus to do their bidding. They wanted Jesus to do something for him. And the reason that they did is because they had a picture of who Jesus should be. And Jesus lined up with a lot of it, but not all of it. So Judas, along with the other 11 disciples or followers of Jesus that we hear about in these biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they had this Old Testament picture of what a Savior was. And Jesus came and he said, I am the Savior. I am uniquely God. I'm God in a bod. Jesus was the most well-documented character in human history. And he claimed to be God in the flesh, fully God and fully human. And he said he was coming to save the world. But their picture of a Savior was an Old Testament picture of a Savior. And the Savior that they had was of a guy who would come and conquer See, Roman was the, Rome was the ruling superpower, and their view of this Savior is that he would overthrow Rome, and he would reinstate a Jewish nation and bring the Jewish people back to prosperity and leadership and ruling. And Jesus, according to the picture that they had, Jesus did a lot of good stuff. He was healing people. He was teaching about God. He was teaching with authority. He was even claiming to be uniquely God, sent by God, to save the world. And so Judas buys in, and he follows, and he walks with him. But there comes a point where he just isn't quite savior enough for Judas. And here's what I mean. He claimed to be uniquely God and the savior of the world, but he didn't hate the Romans. And Judas expected the Savior to hate the Romans. And in fact, he didn't hate the non-Jewish people, which is good for us because that's like almost all of us. He didn't hate non-Jewish people. In fact, he was a fan. He didn't, he didn't 
He didn't push down women and children, which in that time was revolutionary. And Jesus was enough savior that Judas was desiring to follow, but but as they walked together, Judas expected at some point Jesus would raise up an army and take up swords and throw off his rabbinical robe and take his place on the throne, and Jesus never raised up an army. And Judas knew that if Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans, he'd have to, he'd have to line up with the Jewish leaders of the day, but Jesus never really lined up with the Jewish leaders of the day, and it just, it just wasn't working the way that Judas thought that it ought to. And then it all came to a head. One day, towards the end of Jesus' time here on earth. And it happened during one of the most radical acts of generosity that we see in the pages of the Bible. And when this thing happens, Judas says, enough is enough. And he turns to the dark side. And he plots to betray the Son of God. But before we start... Let's just be honest. There's a little bit of Judas in all of us. Let me take you to the story. Here's how the story starts. It says that Jesus was in Bethany, which is this little town, just a handful of miles outside of Jerusalem, in the home of Simon the leper. Well, that's a rough nickname, isn't it? Like, that's tough. Let's just be honest. Like, Simon the leper. That's Simon the ex-leper, Jesus had healed him, but how often in the world around us, even when Jesus does some great stuff to heal us, do we still mark ourselves by our old names, right? Or do other people mark us by who we used to be? I have some of you who, who grew up in my hometown with me back in Southern California who go to New Life now, and I'm telling you, every one of you to a person when you first walked through these doors said, are you really the pastor? Like, is this a joke? Because let's be honest, even when Jesus does this transforming work in us, it's so easy for us to define ourselves by who we used to be, and it's so easy for others too. That's what I love about this community. It's a breath of fresh air. You're not defined by your worst moments, by your biggest mistakes, by your regrets, your hurts, your hangups. You're defined by this new and transforming life that you're experiencing with God. So we're at the house of Simon, who used to be a leper, and this woman came up with an expensive jar of perfume, and she took it, and she broke it, and she poured it over Jesus' head while he was reclining at the table. So it's not like you would think of at a kitchen table. There was a low table, there were pillows, and people would eat on the floor, and then they would recline back and just kind of hang out and talk until the tryptophan kicked in. And so they're hanging out, they're reclining, and this woman comes in with this alabaster jar with a long neck, a very expensive perfume. And we find out from a different biography that this perfume was worth a year's wages. Now think about this. If the, if the average income in America is $50,000 a year, let's just cut that in half. Let's say this perfume was worth $25,000 a year. Let's just drop it down to $10,000. let us say this perfume was worth $10,000. No matter how you break the bottle, that is an incredible act of generosity, isn't it? And she takes it, and she breaks it, and instead of pouring it into smaller vials to sell, she dumps it on Jesus' head as he's reclining at the table. And the story goes on to say this. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. They could not believe it. They were so incredibly angry. And they said, what a waste! What a waste! How could she do 
that. But there's something, we're not going to preach on this today, but there's something about the fact that when we experience the generous, transforming love of God, it just, it compels us to practice generosity out. But the disciples who were trying to take from Jesus thought, what a waste. How could she do that? They go on to say this, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and given to the poor. We find out later that Judas, our our bad boy of Easter, is stirring the pot right now. He's the one saying, hey, can you believe that she did that? That could be given to the poor. He was in charge of the money, and we find out that he was actually a thief. He was a crook. Because money, man, money, it plays with us, doesn't it? Money gets us to do things that's like, oh, well, for Judas, it was too much. And he was kind of, he was a crook. Aware of this, and this is always the crazy thing about Jesus, They just start thinking things, and Jesus knows. It's like, you can't pull one over on him. He actually knows. He's like, he's like Santa Claus, but like legit. You know what I mean? Like, he knows. He knows. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing for me. And he goes on to say this. The poor you will always have among you. That's a reality. It's not a put down of the poor. It's just a reality. And he's going to contrast that to something else. But you will not always have me among you. To which they thought, wait a minute. You're the Savior. What do you mean we're not always going to have you? Saviors stick around. Saviors live forever. And then Jesus goes on. She did this to prepare me for my burial. And there's a grumble in the group. Saviors don't die and get buried. Saviors throw off their rabbi cloaks. They take up their swords and they fight against Rome and they conquer and they overthrow. And if you really are God, there's no way you are going to die. And this is where Judas says enough is enough. We don't know for sure if he's he's trying to like force Jesus' hand. We don't know for sure if he's just so fed up that he is done partnering with Jesus. We know one thing for sure. He's had enough and he is going to do something. You ever had one of these moments? where you're following Jesus, you're doing your best to walk with him, but he's just not doing things fast enough. The chronic illness is still there. The relationship is still broken. You can't seem to get your feet under you. Your marriage is still hard. And you're trying and you're trying and you're trying. And eventually you just say enough is enough. Well, this is where Judas finds himself today. Before we get there, I want, to, I want to share something. If you've tuned out, check back in, because <laughs> to which you all say to me, tune out, are you kidding me? This is so good. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus says something next, that if you're not a follower of Jesus, I need you to hear this. This should make you take the Bible seriously. This should make you stop having your childhood reading of the Bible And really look at what it says, this next statement. Look what Jesus says next. He says, Truly I tell you, 
wherever the gospel, which was not a religious word, it was just a word word. It was like, a, it's, it means good news. So whenever Rome conquered a new area, they would come back and they would say, we have this good news, this gospel. Rome has conquered and defeated a new place. Wherever this good news is preached throughout the world, and the disciples are saying, wait a minute, we're in a tiny little village. What do you mean throughout the world? Wherever this good news is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And they're sitting there thinking, what she's done? We're having dinner and she's wasting perfume. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Your life is part of a grand narrative. You think what you're doing is just this small thing, but it's not. You're part of a great story of God's transforming work in the world. And whatever she has done will be told in memory of her throughout the world. And some 2,000 years later, this woman and what she has done has been told throughout the world. Now, Jesus predicted stuff like this all the time. And it always came true. The big one we're going to talk about in a few weeks. He predicted that he would die and be raised again. That's the big one, his death and resurrection. But listen, Jesus did this all the time. That should cause you to pause and say, wait a minute. Stories about nobody women in nobody towns 2,000 years ago don't find their way into gatherings in the 21st century unless there's something bigger going on. Well, Judas is done. He leaves there, and he goes to the Jewish leaders, because the Jewish leaders, they wanted to arrest Jesus. They did not like him. They were not fans. In fact, he was taking their power away, and he was giving it back to the people. He was telling the people that you don't need a go-between between God and you, but you can actually meet God He was healing people. He was restoring. He was causing a stir. And they wanted to arrest him. And they wanted to kill him. But there was a problem. They were terrified of the crowds because the crowds loved Jesus. And they knew if they tried to arrest Jesus in public, the crowds would revolt. And if the crowds revolted, the Romans would come in and they would squash them and they would take all the power away from the Jewish leaders. So Judas leaves that moment and he goes to the religious leaders and he says, what do you give me? if I turn Jesus over to you. And they said, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. And so that's what happened. They counted out 30 pieces of silver. And the plot was in motion. And Judas began to look for a time when he could betray Jesus. He watched for the perfect opportunity. So my grandfather who just passed away about a month and a half ago, he always carried two silver dollars in his pocket. And he said he carried them because back when he was a kid, if you had two dollars in your pocket, you couldn't be arrested for vagrancy. It's a true story back in Southern California. So he said, I always keep two silver dollars in my pocket so they can't arrest me for vagrancy. This was the story he told until the day he died. And so when I was nine years old, he bought for me two silver dollars, which I still have on my nightstand today. And those silver dollars are great. One of them's worth 50 bucks now. That's, the, that's fantastic. It's the gift that keeps on giving. But here's the crazy thing about those silver dollars. While they have emotional connection and while they're cool to look at, they're kind of old and they're dirty and they're just silver dollars. 
And you and I look at this story and we think, you betrayed the Son of Man? You betrayed God in the flesh for 30 silver dollars? Like, I get it. That's a little bit of money. But you turned away from God? And then we start to think about our own lives, don't we? We think, man, there have been times in my life where I've been tempted to, and if I'm totally honest, I have, turned away for God, from God for something less than 30 pieces of silver. I kept asking God and asking God, and he didn't do it, so I, I took it into my own hands, and I did what I wanted to do. And I turned away from God for less than 30 pieces of silver. And we get to these moments, and we think, maybe I'm not so unlike Judas. And the story gets even more dramatic. We get to the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus goes into the upper room, and he's celebrating this feast called the Passover, which was this ancient Jewish feast. I can't get into all of it right now, but it was like the apex of the freedom that God was bringing to the Jewish people. And Jesus takes it, and he puts it on himself, and everyone's going crazy. And Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the leader, right? I'm in charge. I'm guiding you. And then Jesus does this crazy thing. He takes, takes a towel, wraps it around his waist, and he starts to wash his followers' feet. And there's this guy, Peter, who I love, Peter, because he always puts his foot in his mouth. And Peter's like, he stands up and he's like, no way, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, shut up and sit down, Peter. Okay, we've been through this before. Like, I'm going to wash your feet or you can't have any part of me. And then Peter's like, wash my whole body. It gets kind of weird there for a minute. And he's like, no, dude, no, 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 no. This is symbolic. This is symbolic. And he says, listen, I'm your leader. I'm your savior. And the way that I'm going to lead and save is by serving. So when you think you're a big deal, Peter, when you think you're a big deal, start serving. Because that's what it means to really, truly lead. And they're having this dinner. And right in the middle of it, Jesus says these words, and they make Judas' blood run cold. He says to the group of people, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas is pretty sure that this is it. And Judas had to be thinking, what on earth did I think was going to happen? Jesus knows my thoughts. He knows what I've been thinking this entire time. Of course he's going to out me, and he's going to out me, and the other 11 guys are going to grab me and kill me because they know if Jesus dies, we die as well. And Judas has to be thinking, this is it. I'm done. I'm dead. Game over. And all the group starts grumbling and mumbling. Who is it? Who is it? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Peter's rolling up his sleeves. <laughs> and right in the middle of it, Jesus leans over to Judas and he says to him, what you're about to do, do quickly. And Judas gets up and leaves. And the other guys think he's just running an errand for Jesus. Here's the crazy part. Jesus knows what Judas is going to do. Jesus knows that Judas is going to choose his own path. He's going to turn away from God and he's going to betray him. And Jesus lets him do it. See, Jesus is a gentleman. And Jesus gave you and he gave me this incredible gift called free will. He actually gave it to every human being in the world. And Jesus highly values free will. Your ability to make your own choices. 
And the older I get, the more intimidating that reality is. Because just like Judas, you and I have the opportunity to do something with our free will. We can either take our free will and use it to form our own path. Or we can take our free will and we can surrender it to a loving, heavenly Father. Here's the thing. Even though Jesus is a gentleman and he lets you make your choices, he also lets you experience the outcome of those choices. And that should cause us to pause a little bit. So the story continues. Judas goes, Jesus and his disciples, they finish their meal. They all start to yawn. The, the lamb, tryptophan, is kicking in. And, and Jesus says, let's take a walk together. They sing a song. They take a walk. They're talking. They're having a good time after a great meal, celebrating. They get into this garden. Jesus, Judas comes. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. Jesus gets arrested. He goes. Judas is pretty sure that the worst that's going to happen to Jesus is exile. He'll probably get beaten. He might get exiled. Maybe he'll stand up and overthrow. But something's about to go down. Because he knew that Jews could not enact capital punishment. So he's watching from a distance this whole drama take place. Jesus comes in. There's a mock trial. He gets falsely accused. He gets beaten. And then something happens. And Judas realizes it just got real. Jesus gets taken to the Roman governor, a guy named Pilate. And Judas knows there's only one reason why you take someone to the Romans. It's because you're going to have them killed. And at that moment, Judas is filled with remorse. And the story goes like this. When Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Isn't that the way that it goes? 30 pieces of silver seemed so great when we made that choice. But the minute we walk that choice out and we realize, oh my goodness, I've walked away from God, we are filled with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders. He said, I have sinned. I've sinned. I have turned away from God. I have betrayed innocent blood. And what they said next makes us nervous. What is it to us? What is it to us? That choice that you made is your responsibility. And Judas went out from there and he hanged himself. And that's the end of his story. And we sit here and we ask, what can I learn from this bad boy of Easter? Well, I would say there's, there's two things we learn. One is that God is a gentleman and he will allow you to make the choices that you and I want to make. But the scary reality is this. When you and I make the choices that we want to make, when we bargain with God instead of surrendering to him, the outcome of our choices is our responsibility. Can God rework them and redeem them? Yes, because another bad boy of Easter who didn't make our list is a guy named Peter who also betrayed Jesus, who also sinned, who also turned away, but he came back to God and God redeemed him. So can God redeem our choices? Yes. Will there always be some pain? 
Yes. Did Peter have to live with that pain? Do you think every morning when... So just some backstory. He betrayed him and then this rooster crowed. So do you think that every morning when he heard the rooster crow from the rest of his life, he thought about that moment? Probably. Did God redeem it? Yes. Was there pain? Absolutely. And when we choose to make our own choices, the outcome is our responsibility. And here's why. Because when Jesus tells us to do things, let, let me talk to parents for a second. Um, or if you've ever had a parent, let me talk to you for a second too. Does that <laughs> capture everybody? Okay, perfect. If you've ever had a parent, then you know there's been moments as a parent when your kids say, hey, can we do blank? And you say, no, you can't do that. And they say, why? And you, you, it's a brilliant parenting moment. You've got this great reason why, Right? because of this and this, and it's just better for you. And your kids are like, oh, I get it. Thank you for being so loving and compassionate that you would protect me, right? That's what, eventually they will. But if you're a parent, you've had these other moments where the kids say, hey, can I do this? And you say no. And they say, why? And you have to pause and you think, and I've said this to my kids before, I have no reason why. I, I was just, I didn't, it just seemed easier than yes, less letters. Like, I don't know Why? Okay, you have, have you, am I the only one? Okay, here's the thing with Jesus. He's never had that second moment. So when he says to do something or not to do something, there's only ever good news for you in there. But because of our parents, because I'm jacked up, my kids experience, sometimes dad makes choices that are for my best interest, and sometimes dad makes choices because he's just busy watching a movie. God's not like that. God only ever tells us to do things for our good and the good of our world. So when you and I run up against things and we think it'd be easier to bargain with God and if God doesn't do what I want just to take matters into my own hands, we need to pause and remember that God is a perfect, loving, powerful, wise Heavenly Father. And that our 50 or 60 or 70 years on this earth and our own wisdom is nothing compared to the wisdom of God who created this world and us and knows how it works best. So we can either choose our own path or we can choose to surrender to God. Take our free will and do with it what God designed, which is to place it under him. And when we surrender to God, God takes responsibility for the outcome of the journey. We invite God into the process. Does that mean that it's always going to be easy or good? No. Am I saying that if you just surrender your life to God, nothing bad will ever happen? If you think that's what I'm saying, you have to come back next week. Because <laughs> next week we get to two different guys that are hanging out like 10 feet from Jesus while he's hanging on the cross. And their story reminds us of a very, very real truth. And if you want to know what it is, you've got to come back because I'm not going to share it with you today. Because I need my dose of you every Sunday. But when we surrender to God, he takes responsibility because we invite God into the process. This is this thing we keep talking about. Engaging with God. Engaging with God. When we come up against something and we don't like it or we don't agree with it or we don't understand, we don't just do it. We say to God, God, help me understand what's going on here. God, give me the courage to trust you. God, you've been faithful in my past. I'm trusting you'll be faithful in my present 
and into my future. God, I believe in the meta sense that you're a perfect, loving, wise, heavenly father. I don't see it in this moment. Help me to trust you. I want to end with two different ways that we can surrender to God. The first is the big one. We surrender to God at some point by saying to God, God, I want to surrender my life to you. That's that process of going from life by myself and for myself to life with God and for God, and we place our lives under him. It's kind of like on your wedding day when you say, I do, and you really have no idea what you're saying, I do, to. But what you're saying is, I intend to. I want to. It seems better to than to live over here by myself. When you and I surrendered to God, whether you were five or 55, you didn't know what you were saying yes to. Neither did I. And if you're waiting until you know all the answers to all the questions, you will never say yes. So some of us are here. And it's time for us to surrender to God in the meta sense, in the big picture. God, I want to give my life to you because in the big sense, I trust that you can forgive me and heal me and lead me. And I want to give you a chance to do that in just a second when I pray. And for others of us, it's a daily choice. It's a choice to say, God, I surrender that relationship to you. God, there's a tear here, and I honestly don't want to fix it. Or I don't think I can fix it, but I surrender that to you. Show me what to do. God, my vocation, it's yours. God, my marriage, it's yours. God, my kids, I surrender them to you. Show me how to lead well. God, my finances, I surrender to you. God, my GPA, I surrender to you. Some of you need to take it back a little bit. I'll talk to the college folk a little bit later. You got to take that GPA back a little bit and bump it up and then surrender it to him, okay? My future, my home, my security. Is there a place? And I don't know. I'm not, I'm not God. But is there a place right now where God's just nudging you? Oh, yeah, I want to surrender that. If he is, then when I go into this time of prayer, just say to God, God, I want to try to trust you with this area of my life. And so I'm surrendering it to you. Because I trust that when I surrender to you, you take responsibility for the journey and you join me in the process. Let's pray together. Jesus, the, the process of following you is a regular rhythm of surrender. Thank you, God, that in your kindness, you, you show us little spots of surrender at the time when we can actually hear it, when we're actually ready to surrender to you, that you don't floodlight us with everything that we're trying to do on our own apart from you, but that you actually give it to us in bite-sized pieces. For my friends in this room, if there's anybody here who you're just nudging, there's an area, there's an area. I've been holding it tight. I don't want to let you have it. I've been trying to force your hand. God, if, I, if any of my friends are experiencing that right now, would you gently help us to open our hand to you in that area of our lives? Would you show us how to surrender? Would you partner us, with us in the surrender? And friends, as we continue to pray this morning, if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to God in the big sense, like in the wedding day sense, where you don't actually even know everything that that means, 
but you have a sense that there is a God and God is real. And if God is real, then God actually wants to walk in partnership with you and to lead you in this life. Then I want to give you the chance to do that right now. And you can do it by, by saying a prayer of surrender to God. There's no magic formula, but you could use these words that I'm about to speak and you could repeat them and make them your own. Just whisper them where you're sitting. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are God and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin so that I might have a relationship with my loving Heavenly Father. And God, I want to have a relationship with you. So would you help me to take my life that I'm surrendering now and would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every step of the way? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.